All right, friends, how's it going? Zig coming in at the beginning of the interview today. I have Elizabeth McCullough of Alpha Cat. Her latest release, Thatchered Roof Glass House, is available on all streaming platforms. Elizabeth is a multi-talented artist. Expertise finds many different homes. She is a singer-songwriter, a record producer, and now a record um, label owner, Aquamarine Records, and she was a photographer. In our conversation, it goes deep. It bounces everywhere. Um... It hits upon some mental health recovery, and it's a stigmatized thing that isn't talked about too much, so I was really glad to have this conversation with someone who's been through it and has come out of it. On her website, she has a live recording for sale, Alpha Cat from 2005 at the Vox Pop Club, um, featuring Chris Butler, who you might remember from a few episodes ago. Um, All proceeds of this record go to help people find mental health. There's more details of how within um, the links below. And on her website. And this record is in honor of Elizabeth's therapist who passed away. And only after she passed away did she realize how much she helped. Before we dive into the interview, we're going to check out a tune. Here is Mockingbird off Thatcher Roof Glass House by Alpha Cat.
Alpha Cat, Mockingbird. Um, if you're on Spotify, you're not hearing this. You're hearing a, a gap, and I'm talking about it now. If you follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple, or any of the other podcast platforms, which I think we're on everything now, um, you can hear the tune. Or if you check out Alpha Cat on any of the streaming platforms. Wow, doesn't this mic sound good? This mic sounds good. I got a new mic thanks to Studio 44. Studio 44 CLE has been mixing the podcast and making it sound good. Making it listenable. Besides the uh, my caffeinated ramblings, it's going to sound clean because of Mr. Jay Sparrow from Studio 44 mixing this podcast, making it sound good. If you have any audio needs, make sure you reach out to Studio 44 CLE um, and they'll make anything you got sound good. Here we go. Alpha Cat. Hello. I don't know what happened. I lost you. But uh, I appreciate you um, checking out. And I'm on wireless. So, I mean, my wireless is pretty strong. Okay. That's why I I wanted to do Skype instead of phone, because the phone drops out a lot more. Gotcha. Um, Generally, Zoom, I don't really use Skype much, but Zoom doesn't ever seem to drop out for me. But Skype I haven't used in over a year, so we'll see what happens, I okay. guess. Well, if we need to, if we need to bounce to um, Zoom, I think we can. I uh, With Zoom, you got to like pay for it to go over half an hour, I think. That's, that's well, why. I have an account. Oh, okay, okay. Well, if you got one, sweet. Cool. So if this yeah. starts to like constantly drop out, we can just hop on that. Yeah, no, I have an account because I, I actually I do um, meetings on there and I do um, astrological readings on there. Oh, so. nice. Was well, yeah. it like a getting readings or giving readings? Giving. Oh, okay, cool. I mean, I get them. I get them sometimes. I actually had one last night that I'd forgotten I signed up for. Yeah. Because uh, I signed up for it at least six months ago and then it popped up in my calendar and I'm like, did I have an appointment? I didn't realize that I actually had an appointment. Was I it, thought I was on a waiting list. Gotcha. Was it good? It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Amazing. I have a friend. It's funny. Uh, I have a friend who does a. She does readings, um, uh, online psychic stuff, and like does tarot readings and, and stuff like that. Over. A, I don't know. She goes through some company. But it's it's a crazy, uh, it's kind of crazy that it. I mean, it makes sense now with the pandemic. But she was doing that before. I just it was like that's a crazy market that exists. You know what I mean? A crazy line well, of help. Yeah, the cool thing about the the program, the astrological program that I have and Zoom, is that if I'm looking at someone's chart and I want to point out a planet, you can pull it 90% up. Ninety percent of the time. They will make a blue circle around the planet, so it it makes it much clearer which yeah. one I'm talking about. That is cool. That's the one cool thing about like, so my day gig is I'm a teacher, and uh, for a while we had to we couldn't go room to room. We had to do like we'd zoom in to the other rooms, right? Uh huh. And like it almost some things are almost easier to explain when you can pull stuff up like that. Like when you can pull up what you're looking at, it's supposed to be in like. This is how we play this. Look at this. I can be like, pull up a video or I can zoom into a spot and everyone sees it because it's what's being presented. You can't really miss it. It's the whole screen. Hey, it's the age of Aquarius, baby. We're all connected by technology. Beautiful. It's a global 
opportunity now. <laughs> That's awesome. I was trying to like uh um trying to find out like I don't know. So with like zoom and stuff, there's no right or wrong way to do it. You know what I mean? Like no, I don't know if there's a better program to use than another. Like a lot of them offer different things that the other ones don't. Like I don't know if you've messed with like the Google Hangs or no, um, no, no, I don't, I don't. You know, I I try not to give money to people that already have way too much money. Well said. <laughs> um, so you know, of course, now Zoom is probably you know. Yeah, they're doing good. Yeah, they're doing very well. They're doing, doing good. <laughs> well, because people realize that it's an excellent way to have meetings and communicate yeah. with people because you can share things on the screen. It was it kind of it was interesting like it just when the whole pandemic started that that platform became so like a, on everyone's radar. Like in Cleveland we had a we had this shutdown, right? And one of the local singer-songwriters, she started this thing called Virtual Shows. And you would log into a Zoom, and they'd get the code. You had to donate like five bucks or donate a dollar, and then you can hang out. And they did like a songwriter-in-the-round type thing when it was like four artists, three songs each. And right, right. It was super cool because like the medium didn't work too well for sound at the time. I think it's a little better now. And like, or, 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 it's more clear of how to run your guitar rig through a board into a zoom meeting, whatever there's new techniques to do it or whatever. But like at the time it was that one out. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the original sound button. (laughs) It's what I learned, (laughs) but it's, I mean, I used to be be like, basically, I mean, I, it's not that I was a pro tools pro, but I knew my way around. I could do what I wanted. I knew, I, I, I knew it. And then I had, I, you know, I don't know if you, if you're aware that I had the 12 year breakdown yeah. thing. And so then, you know, during that time when I would emerge from my cocoon occasionally, I took this Pro Tools class, which was not cheap, but yeah. you were allowed to audit it again, I think two or three times. And it was like 10 days in a row, uh, 9 to 6 or 9 to 7. And it was an amazing teacher. And he was really helpful. And even when I came back and audited, he paid me just as much attention and gave me just as much help as if I were, you know, one of the, yeah. the paying students. And through him... You know, after going back in my cocoon, you know, at one point I thought, well, I have these tracks from what was going to be being a smile. There's seven with vocals. Maybe it would be interesting to see what they sounded like mixed. Yeah. I reached out to him and he initially said yes and then he said well i'm I'm too busy but i'm going to refer you to this guy in miami who blows me out of water and that was brett thorngren cosmo okay and and he mixed the stuff and a friend of mine who's supportive very supportive um and i listened to it and we were both blown away but at that point i was still in the mindset of i'm never doing music again so i just i put it away 
But then when I finally did emerge from the cocoon, I hope I'm not overusing the metaphor. <laughs> it's um, what it is, so it, it's it's perfect for it. And I decided I decided at one point at some point in June of 2019 because for years I had a couple of friends who had heard this heard yeah. the tracks, and they're like, "Why don't you put it out as an EP?" And I'm like, "No." I'm only going to put it out if it's the full album. And then in June 2019, um, I went to lunch with a woman. I met her in Harlem. I bought her lunch because she was living in a halfway house and got like $30 a week for money. And so I bought her lunch, and then I went to go see a movie, and I had some time to wait. So I was sitting on the park bench outside of uh, – on Central Park West waiting to go to the movie and it just popped into my head. I want to put this out. And I texted Cosmo. I hadn't talked to him in years. And he immediately texted me back and said, I just, your music just came up two weeks ago and I was thinking huh. about you. And he was like, I'm all in. Nice. It's weird how like, uh, serendipical things are like that when something sparks in your mind and like you reach out to someone in Miami from New York that's a large distance and probably even further it's weird how like things surface in different people from far away well he's like he's like one of my best friends I call him my work husband you know and and I've never seen him I've never met him in person interesting huh so do, how, is that almost like I don't know, relationships like that, especially now in a time where that type of relationship is more prominent, I imagine, than than before because of uh, the COVID uh, thing. Right. Is there almost like just hearing someone, do you hear them more when you can only hear them? Not that you guys can like Skype or whatever, or meet up, but when you spend a majority of your time probably like communicating over the phone or through text or through email... Is there is there a more like sincere thing with what people say? Well, that's been my experience. Yeah, uh, I you know I have seen him. He does. He had when I was in London, we started. We were working on the mixing or the the yeah the mixing um, of Fast Roof. You know, he would call me. I would be out at six a.m. sitting on the you know the front step of the hotel. Yeah smoking my morning cigarette and he would FaceTime me and I'd be like, can I have a curse? No, I'm asking you. <laughs> is, it, is there cursing allowed on this program? Oh, can I curse? Sorry. I thought you said, can I go first? I, th I was like, oh yeah, yeah, you can totally go first. Fine. What, what oh yeah, you can totally curse. No, it's fine. Okay. So I was like, what the fuck are you doing up? Because it's 6am here, which means... You know, in Miami, or I guess at that point he was in Atlanta. He had moved yeah. to Atlanta. Wow! And he's like, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm." He has two young kids. He's like, "I've got to get up at three if I want to have any time to myself and work." So, you know, we'd be, yeah. I, I'd be like in my little tiny hotel room, which just had a twin bed and room to. You know, have my suitcase and my computer on the desk and a little tiny bathroom, and I would, I would, I would lay on that tiny twin bed, which was, I must say, very comfortable, <laughs> and listen to mixes through my laptop, 
which I had bought, you know, before I thought any of this was happening. The only reason I bought my new MacBook Pro, which was from 2019 now, but my rent, the, the rent for my building switched to only online and I could not upgrade my system enough to pay the rent. And they wouldn't accept a check. Yeah. And my computer was from 2008. And it would have kept going, except I couldn't pay my rent. Yeah. So I bought this I bought this MacBook Pro because it's like if I'm going to buy a, a MacBook, I'm going to buy the best one. Yeah, yeah. And then it turns out, you know, I'm mixing records. I'm doing graphic design. I'm making videos. I'm... You know, and then of course the pandemic, and yeah. you know, and then we're zooming, and it's like, I mean, I I learned after what happened with Pearl Harbor that the original Pearl Harbor, yeah, record, yeah, not, not the record, <laughs> that things are happening that I may know about subconsciously. But I'm not going to know that they're real until they actually happen. And so it transitioned me into recognizing that I am just a channel. I'm just a channel. The messages are coming to me. And I am the filter. It filters through my life experience. It's interesting. It's kind of it resonates the, um, the kind of uh, uh, Plato... Um, uh, the, the cave analogy when he, um, Socrates is going around trying to find truth and who knows truth and he goes to all these different um, people who are considered wise right and he gets to the, the poet and the poet doesn't know truth because they are just kind of a, a vessel for what like uh, expressing what's coming to them from like I can't remember the exact wording but they just take in and put out it doesn't necessarily have defined meaning at least in in the in the not in the the cave analogy as far as like truth or whatever but that's a really interesting um it's i don't that's that's very like does the kind of like openness like uh mentality come from art or does it include some of your like self-healing does that make sense it's both um you know i i I came from a family, um, well, a, a very dysfunctional family, but um, my father was a scientist. He was an aircraft engineer. Whoa. And he was all about logic. Yeah. And believe it or not, when I was a kid, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Really? <laughs> that twisted. And, but I, but I always, I always, like I started like, I was drawing. I would always yeah. draw. And guess what I drew? I'm going to guess like blueprints if you're hanging or, 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 or something. Pictures that... of rock stars. Nice. That okay. I love. Like, uh, like Mick Jagger? I have a painting of Mick Jagger that I did in college. It's supposed it's to be like life size, right? Life. Larger than life. Uh, at, nice. Even when I was in college... You know, it's it's funny because you know, thinking about see, this is where the you know the the 
the spokes of the wheel are, are they go, they reach out in so many different directions. It's like which direction to go. Um, the question you asked me was, Maybe can maybe you should repeat it. Okay, um, so basically, let me. <laughs> the idea that um, the artist is a vessel, right, for the outside world influence. The artist internalizes it and put it out, puts it out in some way. Or humans. Let's not even let's not even label it to just an artist, because to some no, degree, exactly. all humans. If right. They, when they start to open their eyes or or start to listen to, to and pay attention to what's coming at them they'll realize that they're being spoken to. Right. Now they can ignore it. A lot of people choose to, as we've witnessed this week, but <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's still coming at you, you know? And the, and the thing is, you know, what's happened and I will use astrology, but what's happened is Pluto, the, the planet of yeah. uh, death and rebirth transformation and Saturn, the planet of structures, Pluto has decimated the structures that no longer serve us. And so now we're in the process of cleaning up the rubble. Hmm. And, that, and that applies to every single human on this planet. And I do not include the sitting liar in chief in that because I don't consider it human. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that's a the whole situation. Uh, but that's bonkers. The whole situation is bonkers. But put a pin in that. We can get back to that later. But I like that it does make sense, right? Like the pandemic's global. So everyone's working through, like how you said, the rubble, what's been destroyed and rebuilding. And like, that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful like chance for new things to grow. And it's also sad because like things aren't going to be the same. Everything's going to be different to some degree. And like... But gonna be sad because Aquarius is is it's the essential workers you know it's Black Lives Matter it's yeah. it's it's everybody is valuable everybody has equal value and has something to offer a hundred percent that's the mentality that we're moving into yeah but believe me you know the rubble it's not going to be cleared away for a number of years Pluto's going into Aquarius I think in three years. Okay. And by that point, maybe, you know, the people that have been resisting, that have believed the lies that not, never, you know, none yeah. of them forgot anything they were promised, but they drank the Kool-Aid and they're still tripping, right? Yeah. They're still on the trip. So when they start to realize that, wow, I'm being listened to, I'm being seen. I'm getting what I was told I was going to be given. Then they're going to start to see. Yeah. That's what it's going to take because that mentality of person is not someone who's open to truth. Yeah. You know, so mired in their dysfunction that they cannot, they cannot, you know, it's like they're in these cages thrashing around right now and they don't see that the door is unlocked and they can walk out anytime they want. It, it is pretty amazing how like rage and or any emotional like overflow makes you miss small details like the door being unlocked. You well, rage, I mean? is, rage is suppressed pain, you know, yeah. I mean, we come from trauma of some sort 
everyone has has come from trauma. We wouldn't be on this planet if we hadn't. You know, it's yeah. it's a process. Life is a process. It's a learning process. You know, and if you choose to stop learning and growing, then you know you may not die physically, but you certainly die mentally and yeah. probably emotionally. No, I definitely agree with that. I think the more the more you in- involve yourself into that has a learning curve and the more uncomfortable you make yourself in the situations, the more comfortable you eventually become in being uncomfortable, right? Like uh, you diving into learning Pro Tools or uh, like that's a whole nother angle of the music spectrum and like it's a very specific thing, you know what I mean? Like uh, what's if, what, is this mic in phases? It's not, do I care? That's not going to, it's not going to, you know, when you're coming into it, yeah, you should care. It makes that sound better so you can express yourself more and fill in the blank. But, like, definitely I agree that learning in any degree. And it's kind of like I've been on um, – I'm a big fan of uh, Bruce Lee and uh-huh. um, some of his philosophies. And there's this uh, philosophy or this bit, which his is kind of like a, a jumble of everything else. Most of his uh-huh. writings are him trying to pick apart other writings, which uh-huh. is cool. You know what I mean? Because you kind of get like a an intro to a lot of things. But um, all, no, all knowledge being self-knowledge. Right. And like, I was like, But I think that kind of, as far as like learning, the more you learn about how to do anything that you don't know how to do or about being uncomfortable, eventually is learning yourself and how to make yourself be comfortable or uncomfortable or achieve things. Well, I think, you know, and I... I did realize at some point in my in my art journey because I did not start out as a musician. Um, I mean, I started writing songs out of college, but that was essentially secret. You know, yeah. I didn't perform. I didn't. I, I I you know I had a friend who was in a band that I had gotten close to, and he Which recorded. Band? Sorry. Um, you know, I, I, I have to limit some of the things gotcha. that I say. Fair I'm enough. very open, but one of the things that I don't want to be an issue at this point, not forever, yeah. is my age. Gotcha. So yeah. I don't want to beat myself. Fair enough. Even though this band is amazing. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. They were incredible. Like one of the most unbelievable bands that you would ever see four vocalists people who were around it back then can kind of figure it out but um yeah he he brought me to his apartment and and recorded um recorded some of my songs on tape and that was the first time i'd ever been recorded um but it was a good you know what was that experience like hearing yourself back for the first time? Well, it was it was interesting because I hate my speaking voice. I I relate. I just when you hear your own voice, you're like, oh, why am I, why am I talking? But anyway, but I actually like my singing voice, and it's not that I have a great singing voice as far as voice concerns is concerned. It's that. I'm so careful with the way that I write my lyrics that it's extremely important to me that when I sing them, that 
the emotion and the meaning behind them is clear. Yeah. So I'm very, very good at phrasing and emoting through the lyrics. That's what I'm good at. It's not that my voice is good. It's that that's what I that's what I do because it's not really for me about being the best singer. It's about yeah. being a communicator. Well, I think one the kind of I, your voice. You have a really specific tone that I think is very um, settling within the music you write. Like your voice fits perfectly on the mu- the like well the space you make with the band and well i know you write a lot of the parts but the space within your music your tone fits very like nicely and come shines out of that and i i agree like you don't want to aim to be the best at anything to some degree because that's defeating the purpose right with music it's more expressing feelings and in in what you're in thoughts and like phrasing is key with that and like I've been um, diving into poetry, right? Metered poetry, uh-huh. and, uh huh. And it's a weird, it's a weird realm. And everything is lined up in a certain way, and certain syllables. So it's like almost like the same thing, as far as like phrasing in music fits with like a note and a tone and a rhythm. Same thing with this metered poetry. And when that lines up, there's like something in the human brain that just makes what's being said stick out more and ring or resonate more deeply with the listener? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I'm, I'm working on an animated video with, um, this, this man that's just brilliant. And, um, and I was looking, I, I had a photograph that I wanted him to use as kind of the closing part of the video. And I only had, um, I only had, it's the insert for real boy where the lyrics are. Yeah. And, um, I only had that. I, I, and I, so I went on this major search through my house looking for that photograph and I found everything but that, like I found so much stuff and I found this poem that I had written um, after I had gone on this round the country trip with this friend of mine that was another crazy genius like that's 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 who I attract crazy geniuses um, that's who you want not, to attract though I'm not calling myself a genius I, I I can certainly be you know you can throw me in the, the crazy box but um, I found this poem that I had written um, about driving into Las Vegas and that it's the devil's playground. And so I have like right in front of me right now, I have two versions of it hmm. where I had already made some changes. I shortened it. Yeah. I don't know which came first. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to make a song out of this. Um, so it's like these treasure, it's, you know, this image of like the the story of this in, in the song Pearl Harbor. Yeah, you know, I found the, tr- the treasure in this harbor. You know, I, being an asshole, quoting my own lyrics, but from a forgotten map left by that last robber. Um, so it's like I've been finding all these treasures as I've been going through all my old stuff. 
and it's like it's slaughterhouse five you know i to have come unstuck in time you know you go back in time and you pick up where you left off and you learn and you heal something from the past and then you move you zap, zap into the future and you've got that knowledge with you yeah that's a good analogy for it too vonnegut man that is yeah you know, and i and i when i was when i listed all my influences i don't know if they're up anywhere anymore and but i had totally forgotten about vonnegut who was a huge influence on me huge and I don't know why I left him out, you know, maybe because I was still, you know, climbing out of the cocoon. Yeah. It's hard when someone asks you that, like, because depending on the, the tone of the conversation or if you're doing it for a press thing or you're more focused on like, well, musically, I'm promoting the music. So what music, you know, what I mean, like, and it's a, a combination of all these different factors that fall into whatever art, you know, you're putting out music or poetry and like but it's it's it i don't know i understand that is a frustrating like who's your guys and you're like uh uh <laughs> there's so well, many you know when, when you start when i started out on social media which was just july 2019 you know i was working with a promoter who was controlling things and yeah uh, you know the first thing that i noticed was that and i was in london so the first thing i noticed was that he was putting up these mood things on my Facebook page, like Alpha Cat is feeling excited, you know, and I'm like, and it just really grated on me. Yeah, that's weird. And and the bio just sounded like a brag, and it wasn't even true. So you know, when I figured out how to take control, yeah, I you know I and I slowly did because I started saying you know first thing was. No more emoji, you know, over, <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that, those gone, that's over with. And then, you know, and then I started saying, well, I'm writing the posts. You are going to post yeah. exactly what I write. And, you know, I, and certainly it's the promoter. So I take suggestions. It's not that I'm like the dictator. I, yeah, yeah. I listen to the people that know what they're doing more than me, but in the end, it's my it's my image, and I want it to be my voice. True. So I finally, you know, when I got to the point where I knew how to do it, I changed the bio. Yeah. What was it? Yeah, it's weird. Like, promoters, people that run the media stuff, like, or the social media stuff, they know, like, what's, like, going to hit the algorithm. We're going to reach out to certain things or stick out the people, but it doesn't necessarily, like, convey the artist intent as purely i was having a conversation with a a new friend and i believe a friend of yours chris butler oh yeah (laughs) uh, he is the coolest and put a pin in that because i want to ask you about him but um we were talking about uh, like when tin huey his band got signed uh the the right there was warner brothers had all this control and did all the press and stuff and which is cool because it's kind of you don't have to worry about it, but at the same time, you don't really get to put any say into it until you see it. You're like, well, it's already out now. What's cool right. about like social media and like the landscape of that now is you have the option to control it. It's a lot to do, 
and it's a lot to learn and it's a lot to like keep track of it's overwhelming but it's like you can have your vision and who you are out there and like if who's gonna be drawn to that's gonna be drawn to that which is cool because it's all in your hands you can't you, you can't you know to quote another aquarian uh abraham lincoln i'm um, to paraphrase yeah you can't you can please some of the people some of the time you can please all the people no you can please some of the people all the time you can please all of the people some of the time but you can't please all the people all the time so if you're going to be yourself and particularly if you're unusually minded as you know i i i will try to kindly describe myself um you know, a lot of people aren't going to like that. But yeah. then again, people that are drawn to the truth and drawn to authenticity, those are the people I want anyway. You know, and if yeah. there's a great area of people that might, you know, come, aco- come across my stuff and maybe listen to it and maybe go, wow, you know, that might, that I kind of, I hear something in that. Great. You know, it's not about it's not about exclusion. It's yeah. about and and the thing is, when I first started with social media, I was very very specific in my intent to um, not be in any way biased or divisive, because I felt like you know I'm talking about the human experience. I'm not talking about the Republican experience or the Black experience or the White experience or the yeah. wealthy experience. You know. And I was very, very careful about that. Um, and then the pandemic started. And um, you may or may not be aware of this, but um, Kumal Nanjiani yeah. had started posting about his wife, you know, about the need for taking precautions, you know, social distancing, masks, etc. And he was getting trolled mercilessly. And he put up this post, and I'm paraphrasing again because I think he took it down. I yeah. tried to find it later. He said, I, my favorite person in the world that lives with me is immune compromised. I am going to post about this until I have zero followers left. And so that that was like my permission to just be unleashed. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it, the stakes became too high. Yeah. Was it? And weird? I'm sorry. Oh no, you're good. You're good. Uh, yeah. So it, it's like you know what, and and then it's like then again, I can't remember who I'm quoting now, but you know. If you don't stand for any something, you stand for nothing. So I decided to stay, take a stand. No, I think that's it's be like I can't remember. If you don't make enemies or whatever, you're not doing it right. Da, 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 da. But um, I agree with There's that. So There's so many quotes. I know we can go back and forth. <laughs> but well, we've just well, and and I feel most people that we find or most people as people find inspiring stood for something or did something their own way and like there's a at least in uh, american culture there's a the underdog story that resonates so deeply and like 
can empower so many different people in so many different ways and sticking up for what you believe in and seeing it work out and or just in fully embracing you like like with uh Kamel, that's uh I, I didn't even i didn't i wasn't aware of that story i enjoy his uh comedy and his career um quite a bit um what was that film he put out with his wife side note about well, the big six that's the, about yeah, it's about life. them it's so beautiful it's per you know it's per, it's a it's an amazing movie and it's you know he had to overcome you know the Pakistani traditional belief that he had to marry a Pakistani woman while yeah. he was secretly in love with this blonde wasp yeah. and you know finally she finds out and she dumps him and the next thing you know she's in the hospital and a coma and can die yeah. So he spends time getting to know his her parents, and he realizes, you know, I don't I, fuck my parents' Pakistani values. This is who I love. Yeah. This is who I'm going to marry. Period. And it's it's it. So much of life is embracing the situation that's in front of you, and like so much of your perception is diluted by what you think you should do, as opposed to what's actually happening. And that's an excellent example of it. And his his reaction to the pandemic and with the whole tweet and what you're doing is a perfect example of that, too. Yeah, now they're trolling him because he's in great shape. So, you know. <laughs> Get out of here. Look at you all healthy. Like, you know, oh, way to take care of yourself. <laughs> you know, I mean, my I, my arms look like a 90-year-old woman's. I've not been using my arms during this pandemic. So, you know, but on the other hand, I hardly eat because I'm so busy. So yeah. I'm like a bag of bones. So, you know, I'm trying to do better and eat better and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I mean people do what makes them feel the most comfortable. Like that's yeah. what they should do. No, I, you know, that's how you, that's how you have a healthy body and a healthy soul. You feed your soul. Definitely. And you feed your body with right. what nurtures it. Yeah. You can't do one without the other. Definitely can't right. do one. One doesn't work. You can't do the things you want to do. If you're not like, if you don't got the, 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 the strength, the a nutritional uh, gas to do it right yeah i imagine like uh I, I, so you kind of mentioned and we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to but you do you're mentioning with the zoom thing you do meetings um did you ever encounter someone who had like a, a um like a dietary problem i'm trying to find the right word for it like a eating disorder of some sort well um you know not in me well I mean, in the meetings that I do, I started with AA. I don't yeah. do that anymore because okay. I realized that my problems were more, they were about my childhood. Gotcha. And that, you know, there's there's a reason why people become addicts to, to things. It's mm -hmm. because they're, they're in pain and they're trying to dull the pain. Yeah. And so, you know, it didn't take me, it took me about 10 months and I was very lucky because when I was in London and I was going to the this clubhouse that was similar to the one I went to in New York uh, to AA meetings, they had the ACA meetings up 
And I thought one day, you know, I looked at the schedule. I thought, I'll check that out. And they said one phrase. And I was like, holy shit, this is this is where I belong. And then I slowly transitioned into just doing that. Yeah. Because that's really where the problem lay, lied, or I'm yeah. not sure correct. Grammar. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> but it makes sense. It's all kind of this journey of self self-knowledge right is learning what's working and what isn't did aa like initially kind of help i know a lot of people are either what it does is it helps you it helps you to and i was very lucky because i went into a meeting that was very accepting of my eccentricities and believe me when i say most of them aren't so i was actually able to be myself and and yet you know, I when I was three months sober in London when I found ACA. So I come back to New York and I realized that, you know, and I've already realized after being in, you know, ACA for a while and in AA both at the same time, everyone in AA is an ACA. They all are, you know, and yeah. some of them realize it and go to ACA and ACA is not just alcoholics, it's dysfunctional families. It doesn't, you don't have to have an alcoholic parent. I yeah. happen to, but it's dysfunctional families. And it's yeah. generational, it's passed down. You know, my parents were ACAs, so they're, they pass that down to me. But, you know, you realize that in AA, there are people who, despite having been in AA for decades are still miserable. Hmm. Not all of them, yeah. but there are enough of them and they talk about their childhoods and I would go up to them and say, you know, maybe you might want to check out ACA. You know, as far as I know, none of them ha- did, but you know, you have these people that, because what happens if you don't heal the, the core problem and you just shift your addiction from one thing to another. Yeah. So, you know, I know in particular, I'll just use one example, someone who is now addicted to ACA. I'm not ACA, AA. They're yeah. addicted to AA. Every day they must go to one or more meetings of AA. Wow. They're miserable. They're stuck. Yeah. Their activity is dried up, you know, and yet, you know, must go to AA, must go to AA. Hmm. And my suggesting that maybe ACA could be helpful never took never took me up on it. So, you know, I don't know where that person is now. I don't know. I, I presume he's still unhappy and, yeah. you know, wants to be dead like I did when I was in my cocoon. But I don't want to be dead anymore. Was it? Um, it's interesting with uh, ACA because I've attended a few of those. We've had. Um, I have a family member, and um, would take my younger sister, and it would be a. It's an interesting experience. It's different, and like, well, and and some. It's weird. Um, music. So I'm a full time musician in Cleveland, as well. What and do you like, play? Uh, I sing and play guitar. Can uh-huh. you relate? <laughs> do you write songs? Yeah, yeah. I play in a band called C Level Letter C Dash. Okay. Um, I know there's an SEA level. <laughs> Found that well, out. You'll have, to, you'll have to you'll have to send me a link. Oh, for sure, sure. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to hear what you think. Um, 
but we would go to these meetings, right? And like the idea of just listening and being around people who are attempting to change and like attempting to do something and coming from these different positions and like hearing how they're navigating and like, but anyway, uh, one thing I fell into was doing a mic night, an open mic night at a sober bar called not a bar. Uh-huh. And it, so I, I've spent a lot of time in like the, the AA community and seeing certain people. And it's interesting what you just said, how valid that is, how some people are like, I, I mean, all our brains are like, we like patterns. We like things we can predict, right? We like things we know we like. But it's interesting when someone just shifts that to the thing and that lack of kind of like self growth for the majority of people I've met within that, in the AA culture, um, a lot of people, they're, they're blunt. They'll tell you what you need to hear, even if you don't want to hear it. Right. So like, I always appreciate that opinion. Value to that. Yeah. But you know, there, there's, you know, the motto is progress, not progress, not perfection. But you know, when you hear the same shit over and over and over again, and nobody's changing their story. Nobody's advancing their story. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, perhaps this has served its purpose yeah. for me. You know, time to move on. Definitely. Make no mistake. Um, when, I, when I got back to New York and I realized that there were maybe one, there was maybe one ACA meeting a day while there are thousands of AA, NA, OA, all those. Yeah. It's like, what in the hell? And I actually, my sponsor at the time helped me start my own ACA meeting. That's awesome. And so ACA meetings are different too, because there's, you know, there, there's this rule called no crosstalk. And it exists because of the fact that, and, and what it means is, you know, you're not supposed to interrupt yeah. or comment on someone else's share. Um, but the problem with that is that somebody can be telling the story about how their father raped them and they have children that they don't know whether they're their fathers or their or their you know they're one of their many lovers because yeah. of course they had many lovers because they were raped by their father from the age of nine, yeah. and they're crying, you know, sobbing, and you're not allowed to say anything. You're not allowed to comfort them. You're not allowed to touch them. Hmm. So, you know, during the pandemic, when the, when we shifted to Zoom, this meeting changed a lot. Yeah. My meeting. And now we do, we, we, we do what we call positive crosstalk, which means that you do ask the person if you can comment on their share, and then you give them insights that they triggered in you. Hmm. You know, and and you support them, yeah. So that that they're not they're not in this position of like pouring out this nightmare story and sobbing and just sitting with it, you know, being ignored. Yeah, they're actually and they're actually like 
it's a dialogue. It's more like what they call after the meetings, the fellowship where you go hang out. Yeah. My meeting is like fellowship. It's, it's largely fellowship in that, in that sense, because, you know, again, I'm an Aquarius, so I had to do it different. Because I had to, though, I had to make sure that everybody knew they were seen and heard. Yeah, that's what I, you want to be heard. You want to be reflective, and it's hard to do that to yourself, especially if you're dealing with trauma and like your reality is shaken and like you can't necessarily discern what is and what isn't. Having someone hear what you just said and be like, "I hear, I'm with you. I understand that. That's horrible," or or even some type of insight if someone's in like some loop of denial right like it's Uh important to have that positive feedback so i think that's really that's a really um that's a really badass like adaptation to it well it's interesting because also because i'm an aquarius and i'm into all the tarot i'm into all the you know yeah astrology and the Ching and everything and i did not come by that you know from my brain i came by that from people introducing me to things and having my mind blown yeah and realizing that you know there was more to just my yeah there was more than just my brain operating here so we now we now alternate um we do and every other week we do what we now call an oracle meeting which basically what we do is one person who has the book just opens it to whatever page it falls to and reads from there. And it's always perfect. Always perfect. That's crazy. Like in a good way. I don't mean like crazy in like a negative connotation. I know it has a negative, but I mean, that's, 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 I don't know, serendipical. That's so cool. Like how when something just resonates and you're like out of, Per chance, I, I get such like a, a excitement spike, a dopamine spike when that happens. Like, no way, you, uh, that's so cool. But the more you open to it, the more often it will happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a um. Uh-huh. Is that um uh, um the book that you're uh that you is this what what is the book? Well, we use the big red book. Big I did red book. try. Okay. By doing an I Ching reading one time, and it was a little early. People were not quite ready for it. Yeah, because that's but, supposed to be super precise. The even though, even though the one that we got was revolution, so <laughs> it was like by by allowing this to happen, this is a revolution. It was so perfect. But we did do a fun thing. I think it was New Year's Day because I also started following this woman who does spirit animal totems because you know i started looking at the kind of animals that would show up in my yard and and look and flowers and whatever and like anything that i would notice i would look up its meaning you know just google what what is the symbolic meaning of this and it was always perfect so on on um you know six months into this um, on Christmas, no, maybe it was New Year's. It was either Christmas Day or New Year's Day. Um, you know, I said somebody suggested we have a meeting, and then I and then I was like, well, maybe we could just hang out. And then I said, you know, what we could do, we could pull a spirit animal card. And everybody was like, oh, that'd be really cool. And of course, it was perfect. What? And everybody 
loved it. And that was like our hang on Christmas Day. That's cool. I think it was Christmas Day. That's cool. That's interesting. Like, what did you, um, what animals, it sounds like we did, um, but what, what has come across your way that has, like, recently, like, with that reading or that, um, that, uh, the Christmas Day one, you were pulling a card in observing that, right? It wasn't like just checking out the landscape and seeing what's by. Yeah, no, I pulled okay. the card. Gotcha. What was it? You know, I don't remember. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't remember. Um, cause I, cause I, I pull cards for people a lot now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. It's interesting though. I, mean, I can't keep track. I am doing so much and I do actually have to hire people now to help me with stuff. I have to hire someone for social media now because I just, it's just so overwhelming. Everything that I'm doing with, I just started the label. I just signed my first artist this week. Um, can you say who? Um, it's okay if you can't. Yeah, I think I can say who. He, it, it, it's a rapper named L. Boogs, um, and he lives cool. in France. Okay. Wow, that's a reach. That's like. Yeah. Well, you know that was that was another like, you know, God bless the broken road that led me back straight to you kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the first person that I that I agreed to sign was someone that when I went when I got to London on July second, twenty nineteen, it happened to be a Wednesday, the day the time out came out. Yeah. So what I would always do is I'd go through the entire thing and um you know, underline, circle, you know, schedule everything that I wanted to do. And there happened to be a poetry slam that night. And I've never been to a poetry slam. I didn't even know what a poetry slam was. Yeah. And I I was <clears throat> jet lagged. Maybe I got a nap. I don't remember. But I set off on this quest to find this poetry slam. And it was an hour walk. To get to, I'm using Google Maps, and of course, Google Maps, you know, you're standing still, and the arrow is just spinning like, you know, your head. Yeah. Because you don't know where the fuck you are, and Google's not helping you by giving you a spinning arrow, right? Which way? <laughs> I finally, I finally get to the place, and, um, and they're like, well, we're sold out. And I'm like, shit. You know, yeah. I just walked an hour. And then a girl comes out and she's like, oh, I'm leaving. You can have my spot. So then I'm like, yay. Nice. And then I go in and they're like, well, the poetry slam isn't here. It's it's canceled. So then I go online on my phone and I yeah. see that it's not been canceled. It's been moved. Hmm. So then I go through this whole other process of trying to find it which involved getting lost a lot and yeah. watching the Google Maps era spin a lot. That sounds and ask, frustrating. directions. And, and so I finally get there, and I'm this, you know, this, you know, not young woman sitting alone outside smoking cigarettes and drinking ginger ale, and one of the guys comes up to me and asks me to be a judge. Hmm. And I'm like, well... I really would pr rather not, you know, yeah. and he's, 
please, please, please. And I'm like, why did you, you pick me? And he said, well, it seems apparent that you don't know anyone here. So That makes sense. You'd be the, the fairest judge because right. not buy it in. No idea that I was a songwriter, that why do words yeah. for a living? Well, not for a living, but I, you know, I've done word. That's my thing. Yeah. Word. N- nobody knew that, but um, you know, he finally convinced me, and I get behind this. You know, it's a small pub, and I get behind the judge's table, a quote unquote, with these other people, and we had the the cards that flip up, and you know, six point nine or whatever. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There was this one young man that was just brilliant. And I thought he should win. He came in second, but, you know, I went up to him afterward and I said, you know, I really like to post about you on my social media. And he, you know, now I know him quite well and I know why he acted the way he acted, but he kind of just. He was kind of, he was essentially frightened of me. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to go into the personal reasons, but, you know, he basically, all he had at that point was an Instagram. And when I went back to the promoter I was using at the time, it was not easy to find. Um, but I did end up posting about him. And and then he thanked me over Instagram. And, and, and so we started what eventually became we started a communication that eventually became a dialogue that eventually got to the point where he asked me a question and i said this is a conversation this is not uh, this is not a dm situation anymore this is a conversation and you know why don't we speak over zoom and the first time we spoke over zoom and pretty much every time we talk over zoom and he's in London, and I'm in New York. It's three hours. That's awesome. Um, and you know, he happens to be from Ghana. He's from Africa. He's he grew up in London from the time he was, I think, three or five. And so, and he's a performing poet. And he's brilliant, and you know, so. When I decided to start this label, he's the first person that I asked to be on the label. Um, but he hasn't signed yet because his okay. process, he's he's got a fire under him in London. He's doing a lot of stuff. And so what I'm what I'm going to serve as as his introduction in the U.S., um, and and the international promoters that I found actually work. Um but so, you know, all the stuff that I've learned over ever since July 2019. And when I say that the, the, the pace has quickened since the beginning of the pandemic, that's I couldn't I couldn't make a greater understatement. Um, but, you know, I've been in the music business a long time and I do know and I've taken a lot of business course, you know, seminars been to South by that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I had to catch up because I hadn't put out a record since 2002, but you know, the, the bare bones of it remain the same. It's just the, the, the method of, of 
transmission has yeah. changed. And because of, I'm an Aquarius, you know, it's not hard for me to adapt to that. Um, but it's still a lot of learning. It's a big learning curve. For sure. And, you know, if you had told me, even when I was putting out That's Roof, that I was going to start a label and start signing artists, I would have said you were crazy. <laughs> like, I, I never would have imagined. It's like stuff that I... In my wildest dreams, never would have imagined that I would be doing. It's a, it's a definitely a whole different perspective on on the music uh, game, really, or music a uh, music career because now you're you're kind of acting as a captain for all these other um, these other acts in this new sea, which is in, in this case America. But like, that's really that's what's the name of the label. Aquamarine, and I okay. named it Aquamarine when I when I did the designs for Pearl Harbor. Okay, when you got your really knowing what the word what the symbolism was, and then when I decided to actually start the business, I looked at the meaning of Aquamarine, and I was like, "Holy shit!" And even like a week ago or maybe a week and a half ago when I spoke to the, this young poet, um, we went through it again and I was blown away again because the meaning is so perfect to what my intent is for what this label should be, what I want it to be. What's the meaning? uh, (laughs) What is it? What is it? Well, I mean, I, I could pull up my page and read it. <laughs> it's it's a it's a page long. I mean, let me see if I can pull it up and just give you a couple highlights. Um, I have I actually have so many pages and documents open yeah. on this laptop that you would think that I was completely insane if uh, you just had it and you didn't know me. <laughs> I don't know. My um, my laptop's kind of the same way. <laughs> um, I don't even know what I just opened. I was trying to figure out how to post to Instagram from my laptop, and that that didn't work. It th- there's a trick to it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I go I got two different Google instructions, and the first one didn't work, and then I didn't have time for the second because I had to eat. Yeah. Um. But here, I can pull something up here. See how what comes up, how to post on Instagram from laptop. Um, okay, this one I can change. It should be way easier. I don't know why that program, for as, as, as big of a platform as it's become, why the desktop version of Instagram is so... Uh, why you have to go into the settings of your computer... To change it to well, be able to use it because i mean i i spend a lot of time like writing these posts yeah you know i edit them i you know i they they have to represent me and yeah. every way that i be, my beliefs and you know i can in the other platforms i can just co- copy and paste but instagram i have to voice dictate and that's a nightmare because yeah. 
it, it doesn't say what you're saying. It says what it thinks you say. Exactly. So it's all jumbled. <laughs> and you're like, what are you talking about? Um, well, I just pulled it up. First of all, Aquamarine is the stone of courage, uh, personal development. Uh, the stone of the sea enables us to access our deep inner wisdom. This, in turn, empowers us to remain true to our deepest values expressing our feelings openly and communicating with others from the heart. Um, that's just, yeah, that's just the first couple lines. Good. And then, and it jumps down aquamarine spiritual energy. Aquamarine is a stone of empowerment for men and women alike. It helps the realization that not all power comes from force. There is also power in aligning with the yielding, resilient vitality of life and in promoting truthful and compassionate communication. It lends women to courage, the courage to express their inner knowing and enhances their intuitive abilities and helps dispel the emotional numbness and difficulty men sometimes experience in communicating their feelings. And this is a long, well, yeah, yeah. it's not that long a page, but there's five paragraphs on it. So, you know... I think that, but again, you know, when I named it that, it wasn't like I knew what it meant. Yeah. You know, I just like, I like this. I'm an Aquarius. I like the color. <laughs> yeah. Looked cool. You know, I found a font. It looked cool. It was the same with naming Alpha Cat. Yeah. You know, I named it Alpha Cat. I, I was originally, it was Meerkat. I was about and to ask you about the Meerkats. But. I, um. Well, simply the meerkat and, you know, the, the, the symbolism of the meerkat is, in short, that of community. So yeah. it wasn't that it was not, it wasn't that it was Interesting. off. Yeah, yeah. But um, when I was designing the cover for Real Boy and I was trying to use this meerkat picture that I had taken that I, I loved – um, I, it just wasn't sitting right. And I ended up, you know, it's called real boy. And there's a song on it called, you know, a real boy. And so I ended up using one of my photographs that was black and white. And I had colored hand colored the boy in the center so that he was real. And the rest yeah. of everything around him was not real. And I had, and I remembered, um, my sister had been talking about the, the alpha dog concept. And of course I'm a cat person and I, I not, I love dogs, but yeah. I, I am a cat person. So I, I thought alpha cat and I found the font and it looked great. And, and so, yeah, so I used that. And then, um, and then I, uh, your real boy came out. It's all over the charts and I don't have a band, so I have to put this ad out. To, you know, I have to put this band together, and it ends up being three men, women and two men. So it's a community. Okay, alpha, <laughs> like like feminine leads the masculine. You know, the, yeah. the intuitive, emotional side leads the creative side. The 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 Mask, they it's yin yang. They yeah, they, yeah. they need each other. We have, we each have. You know that's why the gender roles have become so permeable because that's another aspect of 
this recognition of the yin yang within all of us, right? Yeah, that they are each other. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not two different things. It's one thing it, with different uh, function things that can't function without itself. And it's funny because I, when I was digging through stuff yesterday, I found some contact sheets of an of a um an installation I did in this gallery down in Soho after I got my master's degree um, called estrogen testosterone. And I, and I collaborated with this man um, and what my idea was and how we, what we executed was that I went out and I bought uh, two pairs of men's combat boots obviously my size and his size yeah two pairs of black women's panties you know bikini panties um two pairs of white hanes tidy whities and i'm trying to think yeah the two one oh and two pairs of women's black pumps and so I photographed, we, we both of us wore every permutation. So I photographed each of us from right above the navel down. Yeah. So that basically people could not tell. It was confusing to people that, you know, you couldn't, you, you couldn't be sure. Who was who? was a man or a woman. Hmm. And they were, and they were like, they were life size. They were in pairs. They sat, they stood up, um, like, like a L shape. Yeah. Uh, and they were paired, you know, in a very pointed way. And they, they were in the center of this room that was about gender. And this was probably 91, 92. And, People loved it. You know, there are people, I have photographs of people, they love to stand behind them and, and, get, and have their pictures taken. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's a beautiful way to portray, uh, portray that, that like um, gender fluidity or, or the, the non-understanding of, you know, the confusion that can come from these like standard definitions. Um so you went to when you went to college you were do, at that same time right you were working as a professional photographer or was it post I, technically i guess but you know when i had the reading yesterday with the astrologer she said well you've always been able to make a living off your art and i was like well uh no <laughs> um i always had to work other jobs and yeah. you know uh, yes, I was published. I just I, when I was digging through shit yesterday, I found a bunch of my tear sheets. But um, and I worked fairly steadily as a photographer, but I never made a living at it. Not even not not even approaching it. Because hmm. you did you did a lot of like uh, portraits for bands, right? I did a lot of band portraits. I did a lot of other stuff too, though. There were there were really two sides to my work. Well, no, like, because yeah. there, 
there was the there was the portraits side, which mo- a lot of them were bands. But when I was yeah. in Atlanta, I photographed a lot of different people, not just bands. I, yeah. I was out every night photographing bands, but I was also photographing other people for uh, what was then creative loafing. It was like the Village Voice of Atlanta. I don't okay. know what okay. if it even still exists, but. Um, but I was also doing what what you know you could loosely term street photography. Gotcha. So kind of just like life on the street, catching stuff as it goes. But again, it was like it was like something that I recognized, I guess, early on. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the Henri Cartier-Bresson concept of the decisive moment. No, I'm not familiar with that. So is that okay? Run it by me. It sounds sick. <laughs> it sounds awesome. It's it's a photograph that is an archetype, is and it? so the concept is that you capture this thing at the, at the decisive moment. And I and I and a, and a lot of my photographs were that they were they were like archetypes, and. Mm. I mean, I, when I say I was crazy with it, like I had my camera on me every waking minute. I was photographing while I was driving. You know, I, I was I, I was obsessed. You know, I, what if I miss something? What if I miss something? And the obsession grew to the point where I, um, I, I got an automatic camera because <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Then I'll miss less. I'll miss less stuff if I have an automatic camera, right? Yeah. And then, and then at one point, I was just, I was just like, "What are you doing? Like, you can't be there for every single moment." And I then I calmed down, but I also had also recognized that these things that my camera was capturing, if I had seen them and t- decided to take a photograph of them, they would have been over. Yeah. Hmm. You know, it wasn't my brain that was taking the pictures. It was my intuition. Because I was, I was knowing on some level that something was going to happen before it happened, and I just snapped the shutter at the moment it happened, not knowing really what I was doing or what I was getting until I went back and looked at the contact sheets. That's interesting. I feel like a lot of art is kind of that way, though. It's in the moment, like when you're improving on whatever. It's more of the analyzing it, looking back, where you really can see that that in, in this case moment of transcendence or moment of importance that you uh, randomly captured because you knew something like you felt you felt into like uh, your intuition was saying something was going to happen there. And then looking back, you're like, was it there? Or was it there? That's a, that's an interesting concept. I have to dive more into it. But, you know, of course, all of this was, was unconscious at yeah, that yeah. point. I wasn't conscious of it until I, you know, I took this trip around the country um, and I, I, when I say I was photographing while I was driving, I'm not kidding. Like I'm driving the car and I'm taking pictures while I'm driving the car. Um, and then I come back and I get this, this spread in the Fe- Boston Phoenix and I have to put together all these 
these images and I see as I did them, as I put them together, that, um, you know, these are not things that I knew what I was doing when I took them. It had to be intuition. Hmm. That's beautiful. I don't know. There's something really cool about that, about just it happening and being the vessel that captures it or uh, expresses it with a, when it comes to like taking a, a portrait, what do you look for? I look for the person's soul. I look for when they're real. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to get, I'm going to get hate mail and hate emails and stuff from this, but I've always really been very angry about the lionization of Annie Leibovitz because to me, you know, she gets, she gets a lot of money and she creates or whoever creates these amazing sets around these people. But as far as capturing someone's essence, Maybe I've seen it twice, and as long as I've watched, seen her photography, yeah, she doesn't do that. That's not what she does. She puts them in a setting that costs a lot of money to put together, and then she just takes a picture, and you get a picture of the person, but you don't get a picture of who they are. You get a picture of what they look like. In a yeah, in an environment that allows them. To shine, that's interesting. Yeah, that's the, a, environment, the environment that they create. Yes, that's symbolic of who they are, where yeah. they want perceived. But the actual image of them has nothing to do with who they are. That's a. I think that's a. Be- it's beautifully, at least as far as like looking for what you're looking for in a portrait. I think that was beautifully said because like it's always like those pictures of someone in the spur of the moment, not knowing almost they're being photographed when you really get a sense of who this person is. You know, you have to learn how to manipulate people too. Sure, sure, sure. You got to, just like when you record music, you got to feel comfortable and... And to get into being unguarded. Yeah. It's it's strange, like, um, it's such a person, a human thing that we want to be... We want to capture what we do to some degree, but when it when that red light clicks on and you're being recorded, you everyone gets somewhat shy somehow in some way. They're not as natural as when they were a second ago. So there has to be some setup work to the environment to you know what I mean to like engage in that authentic authentic. Ah, I can't talk today. Um, um, authentic like behavior and thought process. Well, you know, it's funny because it works different ways for different songs. And most most of my songs are metaphors that are taken from actual events from my life. Like when in in the song Monsters, when I say every day your bed's in a different place, but the monsters always find you. Yeah. I was seeing a guy who lived in Williamsburg. I was in Jersey City and he was in a loft and... Literally every time I went over there, his bed was in a different place. Hmm. He had moved his bed. He always he moved his bed every single time I went over there. So, like a lot of it is that, 
But then a song like Pearl Harbor, which there's a whole story about how that came about, and I'm not going to go through it other than to say that the music, and this is the only time I've ever written a song this way, I wrote all the music, I had all it completely arranged and memorized two years before I had the lyrics, hmm. because the events that were to inspire the lyrics had not yet happened. That's a, that is a that is weird, right? Like so, I I typically find like the 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 spur of the moment, you know, what I mean, like a thing that inspires you, a, th- a phrase in your head eventually attaches to a melody, and you have to find it, you build it up like with the thought of whatever the song may be about. Well, that that that's that, a lot too. That's a lot of it too. You know, you this, wake up with a phrase in your head. Yeah. And it's interesting that th- that song in particular was one that like was fully done except for the what it was going to say. But that's a beautiful song, and I think it, it probably needed that space from when the music was created to when the lyrics uh, or became written or became finalized for what they were going to be. Well, literally, things happened. Yeah, that you know, some devastating things to me that had to happen before I had the language yeah. to write the lyrics. It's like the Joe Strummer input output theory. You can only put you can only put out what you take in. Yeah. And yeah. like and I think um, on a on a side note now it's made the uh, made songwriting and writing a little bit more difficult for some people who can't experience as much experience as much to put out because we're in one spot. But then that's not true in the same way because we're experiencing all this we're doing this conversation or whatever you're as busy as maybe more busy than maybe you were before the pandemic so like i think i just uh circled my own thought but <laughs> well i mean that that's the thing like you know you can be sitting in one room but yeah. you know, your brain doesn't stop true you true, know you're true. you're, you're not, unless you're actually physically dead yeah you're learning something or or you're unconscious you know either metaphysically or li- or or literally yeah you're learning something so the kind of shift gears completely um how do you know chris mr chris butler how'd you guys cross paths i met chris um Jim Mastro, who I had photographed when he was in the Bongos. Oh, okay. So, oh, so you were. I lived in Atlanta and I was photographing bands pretty much every night. Okay. Um, I had started, I had, I had been through a marriage and then a relationship that was a very painful breakup. And I kept going and I kept recording my demos on my four track cassette. Yeah, and I, I just ran into Master on the street in Hoboken. I was over there for some reason, and he had started this guitar store, and I started going there, and and I took some guitar lessons, and I'd buy strings and picks, and and Butler used to hang out there because he lived in Hoboken, and um, we just ran into each other one day, and. Um, I think I gave him a copy of Real Boy, and he really liked the song Ground Rush. But we didn't get close until um, I television got back together. They were asked to 
play all I think it might have been the first All Tomorrow's Parties out in in um, England and it, I could be wrong about that but so I'm like well I'll book a gig in London and then you know we'll go to All Tomorrow's Parties and then I'll have this gig the next day and um, so we went to All Tomorrow's Parties and I, I brought Derek my, my co-singer with me um, and we went there and that in itself was, was pretty interesting, the whole thing, but you know, we only have so much time. Um, and then I, and then I played at this club called the 12 bar. That's the only place yeah. I ever played in London, but I played there a number of times. The, the booker there was a huge fan of mine, of my writing. And, um, and the way the room is set up is it's very tiny and there's a stage which is maybe four feet off of the ground in the small room. And then there's like a balcony um, where the people are in the, in the balcony are looking down at the top of your head. And so we, Derek and I did a song or two, and I think we actually had, Fred had mixed the instrumentals. We had a CD player. And so we had the, the mixes without vocals and without acoustic guitar. So we had the full band mixes, but I was playing live acoustic and Derek and I were singing live. And we did we did one or two songs, and then I hear alpha cat <laughs> from from the balcony and it's butler That's and awesome. and i was like is that butler i mean and when i say it, this is like the size of people's living rooms that yeah. don't have large living rooms so i was like is that butler and he's like yes alpha cat <laughs> so then after that we ended up hanging out um, with the club booker Andy Lowe, and there were some other people that that like liked what we did a lot, and we ended up hanging out. And one of them was a girlfriend of of one uh, another uh, a famous punk band guy that I'm not going to mention because I, actually I don't even remember the name of the, the, Fair the band just now. But um, we all went out to an after hours club, and Butler came, and so. That's how we really got to know each other. That's awesome. He's um, such a cool he's such a cool creative guy who's like immersed in the Akron scene here in Ohio and like oh, his yeah. especially oh, yeah. with this pandemic has been going out and like making sure venues and even like DIY venues can pay their bills and stuff, finding ways to keep everything I'm, open. Yeah, I haven't talked to him. I talked to him I, I've spoken to him during during the pandemic, but I haven't spoken to him in a while. Was it? I uh, I did a podcast with him. I'm supposed to. It's going to come out in like two weeks or something from this week. Uh huh. But um. But yeah, super cool guy. That's cut. So, so with Hoboken, like uh, you said, you were checking out the the episode with Glenn. Do you guys cross paths, you and Glenn? Well, you know, it's funny because back. In 99 or maybe 2000 after Real Boy took off, yeah, you know, I wanted, I, I thought I'd, I'd like to be on a label. Oh, okay. And I, I, and I thought, you know, I, I, even then I wanted, I, I, you know, I, I, 
I guess I felt like my chances of being on an indie label were greater than being on a, a major label. And that was before I was aware of how basically major labels just fuck you up the yeah. ass. Yeah, and yeah. That's I started my label, which does it in a completely different, doesn't fuck you up the ass in a completely different way. The whole model of how the label works is different. Um, and the main point of it is that the, the artist gets to own their masters. Which um, is a big deal. So, you know, obviously there's contracts and there are, there are things. If, if I have to pay for certain things, then I have to get paid back before they get the masters. But, yeah. you know, it's it's all, it's as much DIY as possible. What they can pay for, great. You know, what I pay for, I just need to get paid back. And then they're, the masters are theirs. That's it. Yeah. But, um so Glenn Morrow, you know, at that point, I, you know, I was, I was on nearly a hundred top five charts around the country on, you know, on CMJ. I was in the national charts and I approached Glenn Morrow and he was not interested. He was not interested. Mm. And I, you know, I, I spoke to him a few times, um, but he just he wasn't into it, so you know that that's pretty much it with him. Gotcha. Did you? Re- yeah. Like, were you around the Hoboken scene? Because I think you guys were going to rehearse there at one point, right? With uh, with the Meerkats or bef- going into the uh, um, Alpha Cat. Well, the band before ac- the actual Alpha Cat band, yeah, uh, was comprised of someone that I had met from Boston. And my guitar teacher from Jim's store that I became very close to. And then he found us a drummer. And um, I believe those were the people that were on Real Boy. But they weren't really a band. They were just people that gigged out with me occasionally. Um, And now I've forgotten what the question was. (laughs) Was... um were you around that Hoboken scene? Well, I mean, yes, I'd go to the, yeah. you know, I'd go to the shows and I, I went to Maxwell's all the time. And, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and th- that's another thing, like the guy, the, the guy that ran Maxwell's and I forget his name now too, but he was very resistant to booking me. Hmm. And, Eventually, we did play Maxwell's, but it was toward the end. Yeah. Was it? Well, I think that would make sense with the uh, uh, when the Real Boy came out in the '90s. So that's probably around the the scene was changing around then, as far as a in the Hoboken Hoboken realm of things. But it that was like a it's not far from you know New York, which um so you had a you you've been kind of coast to coast here, living in New York, going out to L.A. then. When did you go to London? You said 2005, 2002? I went to London since I was 17 because I know that I lived a lot of lives there. So I've always felt more at home in England than I ever have in the United States. Interesting. So I, I, you know, basically I went whenever I could until, until my breakdown. And then I didn't go. And then when after I got sober... And I had, you know, I had a few good months under my belt, and I knew I was going to put a record out. 
I was like, I'm going to treat myself and go to London. So I did. And then I met uh, Jamal, this poet who was going to be on my label. Gotcha. What slam poetry kind of the touch upon that. It's a, the first slam poet I saw was Saul Williams at riot fest. And like, that's a, that's a game changer. I don't know. That got me down that po- the poetry rabbit hole way more than like, I, I think I would have gotten down it had not See, what, seen in it, like seen it performed like that. Yeah. I mean, when I say that I know nothing about the poetry world, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like what I know I've learned from Jamal and I did go to one, he did a slam last week that I watched over zoom and he won and as I knew he would, but I, what I can do is I can spot talent. And I knew that this was a special talent when I saw him. I just, I just knew. That's all. Well, I can't wait to, I have to, you have to send me a link. I'd love to check it out. Um, yeah, he's in the process of, well, he has, he has videos up on yeah, YouTube. Yeah. But they're under two different, they're under his real name and his stage name. Gotcha. So the process now is putting you know, them together. Yeah, we got to consolidate them. Get at least get everything underneath the stage name. Yeah, yeah, an actual actual profile. But, you know, I can tell you his name. It's uh, he goes by Kid and Nancy. It's K- Kid is in Kid. Oh, interesting. And, Kid and Nancy. That's and a fun play on. A N A N. A N I S I. I think. Whoa. Um. And he told me where he got that, and I've, of course I've forgotten because my brain is too full. But that <sighs> was so pretty... much RAM. I feel it. Right, it's true. <laughs> I, I need an, I, I need an external hard drive for my brain. I feel that. I feel that. I can definitely relate to it. I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure I'm, I'm sure my thoughts are already stored in the cloud anyway. <laughs> well, that kind, that's kind of an interesting analogy to what we started our conversation with, right? Like the idea of the cloud and downloading stuff when it when it it's to, when it into like intuition strikes it needs it to be there. That's kind of a brilliant uh, connection. Yeah, made. weird. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought I hadn't thought of it that way. Now, oh man, now I got. <laughs> that's cool. Um, on a side, completely side spinning. Um, you mentioned television that you guys went out to in, to go see them in London. Um, before playing the 12 club um now he helped uh fred fred smith from television he like played bass on the record for real boy for the the first ep no um, he did not no he did, he did not no. did he just yeah, play he, with you he, he produced produced okay okay yeah, yeah okay i was was it guitar then because it was chris chris played bass no he nope. did not oh man <laughs> Nope. He keeps saying, didn't I play bass on that? And I'm like, sorry, honey, no. (laughs) (laughs) He played live with me. He played live with me. I have a thing up on my my website where I was selling a live show for mental health charity. Okay, which is awesome. I'm going to shame people. Very few people bought. Yeah. Um, And it all goes to mental health, you know, helping people with you know that have you know difficulty finding access to mental health care and you know this was during this was into the pandemic and i had discovered this recording and so cosmo 
mastered it. And, you know, he took it from, I guess it was, no, it was on a DVD, I think. I'm not okay. sure. Where was it, it at? May, I don't know what form it was in. Whatever it was, he put it, he brought it into Pro Tools and he mastered it. And he cut it up into tracks. And it was the first show that I did after my father died, which was a very huge, huge blow and loss for me. Um and it, and, it, and it took me two years to get back to where I could play, you know, that I could perform again. And when I tell you, you know, when I picked up the guitar and tried to sing again, um, it was not easy. And there were lots and lots of tears. Yeah. But I somehow, I somehow fought through and I got ready and I did that gig. Now, like, uh, is that what you meant? By your bio says you lost your voice. Was that? No, that that was after going out to L.A. to record being a yeah, smile. Yeah. But that was was it like actually losing your voice, or was it like kind of the the drive to do it, to, or the ability that? Does that make sense? Well, what 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 really happened was um, there were two things that were going on. One was that I had had a relationship. That was, which was very unconventional, I suppose, Aquarian, because it was largely over the phone. I met him in L.A. uh, the day after I did a gig at the Mint um, for this compilation record that I was on. And um, I had met through this other amazing guitar player, Ann Klein, who's in New York, uh, this drummer, Jason Smith. And we just clicked. And so whenever I would go to L.A. to do a gig, Jason would just get a band for me. And we'd rehearse once, and we'd do the gig, and that's what we did. And and, and I I felt like I was, like, back. You know, I'm back, baby. I was on top of the world. And the next night, I went out with my friend to this club to see a band, and met this man in a way that seemed fated and magical and ended up being, you know, one of the straws that broke the camel's back. You know, now I know there was a lot more going on at the time. I thought it was about him, but it really wasn't. I mean, I suspected it also had to do with the loss of my father, but you know, I really didn't understand what was really deep down at the root of it all. But, um, you know, so after a nightmare scenario when this guy, this drummer, and when, you know, the joke about the drummer that doesn't have a girlfriend being homeless. Yeah. Was that the truth? Wasn't <laughs> actually homeless, but he did live in a storage space in L.A. <laughs> a storage space. That's no rough, bathroom, but... no sink. Not technically homeless. Yeah. But pretty much. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, he was on tour a lot, so, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, so that makes sense. That and... was one thing, but... Um, you know, so part of me, you know, a part of me that I was in denial about went to L.A. because I, I hadn't let go of him. Gotcha. And, oh, okay. But a big part of me really wanted to make a record because yeah. I had songs and I wanted to work with Jason Smith. And so, 
you know, I went to LA, I packed up my, I, pa- I got a U-Haul, I had a brand new car. Um, I packed up the U-Haul, same car I have today, by the way, packed up a U-Haul with, in the ice, you know, Pro Tools rigged, <laughs> you know, four guitars, uh, desks, stuff like that to go move into what was really just a sliver of a studio apartment that was in the Hollywood Hills and two cats. And um, they had to love that ride. Drove to LA. Well, they were allowed to roam the car because of course, if you drive, you can't keep them locked. If you drive 10 hours a day with cats, you know, they've got to be able to use the litter box and they were very good because they prefer to be in the boxes. Yeah. Yeah. They just, But they, I mean, my original alpha cat, Billy, whose photo and voice are on Pearl Harbor, he used to ride with me in the car and he would be in my lap with his feet, with his paws on the window, looking out the window. Oh, that's awesome. My Uh, cats are terrified of the car. (laughs) My cat, my cat, Billy, because my dad used to be an aircraft engineer. Yeah. Always had a small plane. He owned a small plane with another guy that he worked with. And we used to fly to Michigan to our summer house. And I would always bring my, my cats or yeah. cat. I think Billy Billy was the one cat where when I first had just one cat. Um, now I'm in the air and the spare phase. You know, I've been in the air and the spare phase for a while now. But yeah. Billy, Billy and I got my dad's small plane. <laughs> and Billy's in my lap. Aww. And we're taxiing down the runway, and then we start to lift off. And Billy's, you know, he's in my lap with his paws at the window, and we're starting to take off. And he turns around and looks at me, and I swear to God, he was like, Mommy, I like to be high, but this is too much. Like. He was like, I. Th- he's like, I don't know what this is. This is this is this is too high. <laughs> and then he got used to it, and he was fine. But um, anyway, so back to the losing of the voice. Um, yeah. You know, started. I started not being able to execute vocals the way I wanted to, and I'd written songs that. Um, physically, I could sing, but emotionally, I wasn't able to sing yet. Yeah. Uh, like when I did a demo of one of the songs, I was able to sing it. But then when I was in L.A., you know, I started realizing very quickly that I was having trouble hitting those notes. And I started doing vocal coaching. And it was comprised mostly of me trying to sing and crying. And when I say that I don't remember recording the seven vocals that are on Thatched Roof. Um, I don't remember recording them. I I still don't remember recording them. As far as I knew, I didn't get any good takes. Um, But I do remember a song called Wichita and being in the studio and trying to get a take and they just sucked and they sucked and they sucked and I just broke down crying and I know it sounds like I cry all the time, but... I broke down crying and I gave up and I went back to my studio apartment and I 
just lay in bed yeah. and cried and read Agatha Christie books like every waking hour. And my two cats that were with me, one of them, Joey, was very sensitive to my emotional state. Yeah. So he started peeing um, at the doorway first. And then one day I think I went out for groceries and I came back and I got into bed that night and it was wet and I was like, God damn it, Joey, you know, and I, I, I took the covers off because there was no way I was up for changing sheets. Yeah. And then there was shit in a bit. No, no, first there was shit. <laughs> and I was like, fuck you, Joey. You know, I yeah. took the shit off and I got in bed and it was wet. He had pissed in the bed and I was like, that's it. And I, I took him to the vet and... I left him there until my sister came and got me. Gotcha. Just to be able to heal without worrying about whatever the cat's going through. You know, I was it was it was bad enough without having to get in bed that's filled with piss and shit. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't know when when one of the cats are distraught, you're distraught because of the cat being distraught, like. And it's, well, but you know, I know I know that that cat loved me yeah. more than anything. He found me. He's the only cat that found me. But he was a difficult cat because he did act out a lot. Yeah. And I have a lot of guilt about him because when he was older, and I was still in my and I was still in my in my dysfunction, you know, yeah. my. And and all I could do when I was awake was read trash magazines. You know, he would yeah. get on my lap, he would get on my chest, and I would push him away. Yeah. And you know, and he died one month short, uh, one yeah. month shot, twenty one years old. That's how long he stayed with me. Wow. And he found me. Yeah, that's he amazing. He found me, and. You know, even to this day now, I feel guilt about that because I realized that he was just trying to show me love because he knew he wasn't going to be around that much longer. And and I wasn't capable of recognizing that at the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, overall, you know, you were there, you took him in, you guys went on this journey together. So even if at the end there was certain things you could have, you know, should have, would have, the oh, the overall picture was he, he found his forever home with you. And well, like, he, you know, he was taken care of and I loved yeah. him as much as I could, but he was always difficult. Yeah. <laughs> was well, it's, it's weird. Cause like, I don't know when you, when, when the cat decides it's time for you to appreciate me and they, they, they take over the, the chest or the lap and they're just sitting there and purring and you're like, all right, well, I guess I got to appreciate this because you know, that's not, it doesn't always happen. It's a, it's a, you are a big gifted time with me, human. <laughs> like, well, in mean, a good it, way. It's happened with him. It happened every single time. Yeah. So that's, and that, I didn't, oh, okay. have, I, see what you're saying. I didn't have the patience. Yeah, I yeah. didn't have the capacity, you know, to recognize that this was what was happening. Yeah. How's a, how's Kanye cat? You had a cat who had a jaw whose wire his jaw was wired shut. 
Please do not call him Kanye. <laughs> That's what happened to Kanye, though. He had his jawline shot. He has nothing. He has, he has absolutely no resemblance to Kanye. Okay, okay. Any way other than... Perseverance with the jaw. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even know about Kanye's jaw. Um, oh, okay. I, I, I can't... I, I missed the good Kanye years, and yeah, all yeah, I yeah. know is Kanye is Kanye the asshole years, and yeah, Kanye yeah. refuses to take medication and thinks that it's okay to be president of the United States when you're bipolar <laughs> and you don't take your meds. Yeah, you know, and you know, buying your wife five identical Maybachs for a Christmas present when you're on the brink of divorce, like. Okay. Do you think one might have been enough? You know? Definitely. Like, I don't know. I don't follow um, Kanye's madness too, too much because, like, it's kind of like a, to some degree, like, I don't know. When he, when he talks, he'll say certain things that really, like, there's this arrogance to it, like this ego, but there'll be, like, these golden nuggets of, like, huh, that's an interesting thought process. But it's well, kind of surrounded by a lot of, um, confusion uh well he's confused the fact that he's a channel with the fact that he i i think that he thinks i think he literally thinks that he's the source yeah i think he realizes he's a channel whenever something good comes out and i'm not i have not been witness to any of that yeah and you know when i when i became aware of kanye he was already an asshole. So gotcha. That's how you, you know, yeah, I didn't yeah. have a lot of, and the things that came out that I was aware of with him musically, I thought were lame. So, you know, that's, that's, that's just my impression. Yeah. And I, and I do, I do keep up with pop culture because, and I try to explain it like, when I first started reading trash magazines was when my father died and yeah. we we had to spend a week in Tennessee waiting for the funeral and I didn't really drink. So what am I going to do? You know, I couldn't read anything heavy. So I started yeah. reading trash magazines. Yeah, yeah. But what I've realized, you know, I had to I had to justify this to a number of people including Jamal, but it's like it's it's how I know what's going on. I know I know what people are thinking about. Yeah, because that's that's what that tells me. You know, I watch TMZ. I watch Stephen Colbert. I watch Trevor Noah. I watch Seth Meyers. I if I could watch Jimmy Kimmel, if my DVR. I love Jimmy Kimmel, and if my DVR would allow me to record more than two programs at once, I would be watching more Jimmy Kimmel. But yeah. Um, that's how I get my news. And then the, uh, the, the snippets that when I turn the TV on, you know, are just happen to be there. It's an interesting, um, way to kind of take in sociological, like w norms and what's what, uh, because of those, like with like a, how you're calling trash magazines, like those are an open appealing thing, right? So a lot of those have been selling forever and they're, probably never going to stop or they're going to find a new medium but that it hits a large audience so much so that they still prevail so falling in uh, analyzing that especially for trying to run a label and figuring out how to reach people and stuff is a interesting uh, approach to it yeah for me uh, it's not even it, 
for me, it's not even so much about trying to reach people. Yeah, it's yeah. about it's about them reaching me. Oh, okay, okay, um, all right. You know, I can see I, that too. I garner like a lot of, of my topics for my social media posts from things that I become aware of yeah. with these magazines. Because, of course, there's reviews yeah. of, of movies and music and stuff like TV shows and stuff like that. And even though I don't have – I really have very little time to watch anything, yeah. um, I, I do – you know, and I, I rely on the algorithms for YouTube because they show me stuff that I, you know, that I wouldn't have been aware of otherwise. Yeah, yeah no, they're good. They're hard to work into, but they're good. There's a reason they're doing I, it. I, I don't mind, you know, yeah. it's like, it's like back, back when... I think that people first started being paranoid about like the government listening in on them. Um, as long as I don't say, you know, and I'm going to say it now because yeah. it's in text and it'll probably be taken out of context, but uh, let me, let me tone it down. Yeah. Uh, the liar in chief should be removed immediately and imprisoned for eternity along with all the henchmen and women. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, like, there's nothing that I'm going to say or put up that I'm not going to stand behind. Yeah, so, no, 100%. spread it all you want. You can listen in all you want. You know, as far as I'm concerned, you might le learn something, but you're not going to you're not going to bring me down with it because I'm not, you know, I'm not I'm not an evil person and I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt people. Yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, your thought, your, your, your emotion, your expression. And like, even, I don't know. I don't think I was going to take what you just said and disagree with it. <laughs> uh, I believe a majority would completely agree with what you just said and probably said it's a little too polite, but I get what you, I get what you mean. Um, kind of, so the cat's good though. <laughs> they kind of circle back. <laughs> oh, Pedro! Pedro has Pedro. a little. Pedro has a little bit of a um, bacterial infection, mm. uh, sinus infection. But okay, um, he got he got to go to the vet. I guess it was Friday. Um, he was supposed to go Tuesday, but the people that are supposed to plow my driveway are angry at me because I lost patience with them because they didn't do something else they were supposed to do. So now they don't even pick up my calls, much less return them or or plow my driveway. So I was stuck yeah. in the driveway um, until until Friday. <laughs> no, Thursday. Thursday, someone came over because I realized I have to get the driveway paved so yeah, that yeah. I can snow blower and just blow it off myself because nobody's going to plow it for me. So. Um, so someone came over and they cleared it enough that I was able to go into town and get, uh, pick up some stuff and also yeah, yeah. get us get some snow tires. Yeah, those come in clutch about about this time of year. <laughs> um, to kind of um, kind of shift gears, um, and I wanted to talk about it a little bit more. But um, so you you uh, you put out this recording from um, from that gig in London, right? 
No, that's from that's from a Brooklyn that Brooklyn. was a okay. Brooklyn coffee shop called Box Pop. Gotcha. And, and Butler did play bass on one of the songs on that. Okay, so I've read because I, I did a deep dive and I went into I've been listening to the um, everything that's on Spotify and um, everything um, Howard sent me and diving through your web page and digging through uh, the the press articles I can find off of that. So I think I got my like wires mixed with who did what on what wait that's a that was a lie well, okay pearl harbor there's there's probably 25 people on there yeah, and yeah. you know at the if you if you were to see the inside uh credits what i did at the time which now seems like it was a little excessive um that's kind of an understatement but i I matched each song with a planet, and I matched each person with a an astrological sign. Okay. Usually, generally, what their astrological sign was. Okay. Credits. Okay. The way the credits are is it has the names in alphabetical order, and then it has the glyph for the song that they're playing on. Well, that's pretty badass. Like, did it did it pan out? Like, like. Because not everyone's sign could fit with the song they were on type deal. You know what I mean? Um, you know, like collectively as a group, like these. At the time, at the time, you know, I looked at it a little bit, yeah. and it made some sense. I think if I went back now, it would make even more sense. Gotcha. That kind of goes back to the analyzing post, capturing the into the whatever intuition entire inspires you to express or capture. Um, yeah, because you know there's there's these people that you know they're like, oh, I can't listen to my own music, and you know I hate listening yeah, to my yeah. own. Well, every time I listen to my, I love listening to my music because every time I listen to it, I learn something new. Yeah, that's a that's I I don't know if like the reason that is is people are like. I don't want to be seen as like a of a, a, a narcissist. I'm listening to my music, but it's important that analyze yourself and someone like you've worked on yourself a lot so like hearing something like that and like hearing all these pieces come together and be expressed in the way you want to and then hearing what like oh, i didn't hear that bass thing chris did this, or whatever that's cool like you don't get that if you kind of just avoid what you've done and it's important to self-reflect on it and like learn from you <laughs> like well, if you read, if you, I, I don't know if you read the story of how the Pearl Harbor came about and the singer-songwriter that was in the middle, the middle story, that had the huge hit in the nineties, yeah. the mid nineties. I uh, I have, but for the listeners, if you want to do a quick. Okay. Well, well, the point is that this was someone, and and it was not an accident that we both had Mercury, which is the communication and the yeah. way we. Were receive information planet at three degrees Pisces, which is basically an open channel. It's considered a weak Mercury because there's no filter, but it, you know, it, that's also a strength if you allow it to be. Yeah. But so we both wrote from, you know, this channeling, but he was a Capricorn. So he was all about the fame and the money. Like he, he was all about the fame and the money. And, you know, when we went on our date, our official date, um, 
it was just all, oh, my label's going to drop me, my label's going to drop me. Yeah. And also, my songs aren't about me, you know, which they so obviously were. Yeah. And it's like the disconnect was stunning. Even then, it was stunning to me that that he could not recognize that he was writing about himself. There isn't. I don't know. It's weird. Some you, it, um, most times like you're asking like when you're trying to figure something out and you're talking to someone, you're asking or giving advice you want to hear. That's what I want to say. That's how I want to say. It. A lot of times you find yourself giving giving advice to someone that you want to hear, and it sounds like your uh, your friend there wasn't, <laughs> you know. Well, he bought. He drank the Kool Aid. You yeah. know. Yeah. The same. Kool-Aid. And that, yeah, that's going to definitely um, skew perspective. Um, the kind of shift gears, I have one one kind of final question, and it's kind of a big one, but um, with mental health, I think it's awesome that, that um, the live set, you're putting all the, all the funds that come from that to help people find help. Which um, nobody's, nobody's buying. Yeah, so. well, hopefully we can push it a little bit with this and like it's it's weird that there's this stigma of trying to find help and trying to not find help if what how would you what would you do to how would you suggest someone do this how would so how should someone find help well it's hard because i mean even when i first went to therapy i felt the stigma like i only yeah. went in therapy initially because my marriage was falling apart so yeah. I went into marriage counseling um, and then I stayed with that therapist after my marriage you know was obviously dead and um, and it helped me some you know the, the therapist that I used ultimately breached my trust in a major major way in which he should not if he's still alive he should not be he shouldn't have been practicing after I found out what he did, but, um, you know, there's that, but that that's hopefully rare. But the other thing is that, you know, this is a historical generational stigma and, you know, even more so for the, you know, the, the black and Brown communities, because it seems it's perceived as a signal of weak. It's a sign of weakness when actually it's a sign of courage and strength. Like if I said anything, you know, if you have the guts to look at yourself and to figure out why you're fucked up, yeah, that's, that's courage. That's strong. Cause most people don't have that kind of courage. Definitely. So that's what I would say is it's not weakness. It's courage. I think that's beautifully said. It's hard to analyze yourself. It's hard, just like we were kind of talking about earlier, it's hard to hear your own voice, even when you're talking. And it's mm-hmm. hard, to, it's weird to listen to your playback for some people, but you grow from that. And it, it does it does take a amount of courage to accept what you hear, choose to better it or choose to accept it, and move on from there. I think that was beautifully said. Well, well Elizabeth, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, I just said thank you. Okay. <laughs> Elizabeth, thank you so much for hanging out with me today and, and chatting this. Um, any uh, last... 
plugs before we uh before we wrap it up here uh plugs for anything i we didn't get to I mean, you know, the re-release is uh, Pearl Harbor is coming out. Um, it's going to for ads the first. Okay. And it's. Um, I'm working on a video, a uh, visual uh, animated, yeah, animated video. Um, that will be done when it's done. It'll be done when it's right, and. Um, and the record is is officially for sale on the seventeenth, but it's uh, it's on pre-sale now for discount from the website. Awesome, cool. And it has, you know, it has it has the original thirteen tracks from Pearl Harbor plus two that just emerged from like the vault of my subconscious which you know my house and they're kind of special in their own way because there is a love song that is probably the only really pure true love song i ever wrote because every every other one i've ever written has been veiled with metaphors you know it's been because of my fear of being heard i guess that makes sense so with i don't know the with love, one there's a lot of love songs right so it's hard not to touch upon a metaphor that's already been out there you know and then you're putting a lot out there and that's like just romantic uh, romantic relationships ships in general or or that like fine line of being crushed or not being crushed <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, and you know, and I will say this, you know, there are songs that people think are written about romantic relationships, but they're not. They're about my mother. That's a good like tune. In particular. Snow is not about a romantic relationship, it's about my mother. I'm gonna hop off here and I will um be in touch with you soon. Okay, well have a have a great rest of your day. Thank you, you too. Okay, thanks. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye. All right, thanks for hanging out. We got one more tune from Alpha Count. We got Every Day You Break My Heart. Um, if you guys can like, subscribe, rate, review the podcast on all the podcast platforms, it helps this keep going and helps me keep reaching and talking to cool people like Elizabeth. Here we go. One more tune. Doesn't matter.
better